We have enough planned in each of these hours of worship together for this season that hopefully somewhere along the way, just one or two little things will spark you. Today marks the beginning, day one of Advent. Advent is the time for expectant waiting for what is to come. If we're not careful, we can get ahead of ourselves and try to get ready too soon. And in the process, we miss the waiting season. I think it's because we don't like to wait and we're not good at it. Waiting for the car in front of us to move immediately when the light turns green. And if they don't, we lay on the horn which is so jarring, by the way. Let's don't do that this season. That could be just one little way you change the way you go about your waiting, not blowing your horn. Let's not be rude waiters. My first job, real job, was as a waitress at the Golden Corral. Now, this was back in the day when everything wasn't at the big, super-sized bar. You actually had to order your entree, head to the salad bar for your salad only, and wait for me to bring you your food. I hear that Golden Corral works these days, that it's pretty much serve yourself at the big, oversized bar. I wouldn't know because after working there for a couple of years, I kind of got my fill of Golden Corral. When I think about waiting, it seems like such a passive word, like we're just sitting around waiting on the coming of the Christ child among us and within us. Maybe we should wait the way those that wait tables wait. Waiting tables is a busy job. Waiting tables is an active job. Waiting tables is a necessary job. And waiting tables is a serving job. How shall we wait? This week we shall wait and hope. Busy, active, necessary, serving hope. Each Sunday of Advent, I'm going to take one page to focus on the word for that week. Today, we hope. Hope is a word that has disappointed us so many times we are reluctant and even scared to do it again. We had hoped she would pull through. We had hoped it would not be cancer. We had hoped for the promotion we had hoped the counseling would work or the medication would be the magic bullet. We had hoped for children. We had hoped the children we had would be well and fulfilled and happy. We had hoped he would not suffer. How many times can one hope when it has disappointed us so many more times? For today, as a start, perhaps we simply take an inventory of that for which we hope. Like literally, write down your hopes. Put them on paper so you can see what it is you are hoping for. 
Dare we even hope for peace in the Middle East? If we don't, who will? Why bother hoping about an end to homelessness and hunger? Because our hoping might be the very thing that calls us to action. So I say, let's hope with wild abandon. Be reckless in your hoping. Hope big. Hope to the moon and back. And then craft your life in a way that is busy hoping, actively hoping, hoping for that which is necessary and then serve up hope to all of your circles. Find ways to hope, no matter how small, and then challenge yourself with something big as a way to work toward hope. For a moment, just pretend that you wait tables at the Golden Corral with your brown polyester skirt and head kerchief And the world is nothing but tables waiting to be served healthy portions of hope. And you're the one to bring it to them, steaming hot. Just make sure that you take your breaks and eat a bit of the free portions that are offered to all employees who wait tables of despair. Hope is yours for the taking and for the serving. And there will be times that it will disappoint you again. Hope anyway. And if there are any leftovers, get you a to-go bag. Maybe that's why we come here, to get our to-go bags of hope, because it doesn't seem like anywhere else in the world has it on the menu. While our children are returning to their seats, I'll just say that that brown polyester skirt and that brown handkerchief, she was really cute in that skirt. I like the Golden Corral a lot more than Amy did. That was 42 years ago. One word about today's theme. Last summer, as I was planning this Advent, I looked at all the texts for this season, and a host of scriptures with a future orientation jumped out at me. The first was today's text that says, Salvation is nearer now than when we became believers. It reminded me of our friend, the late Dr. William Hall, the best Greek scholar I have ever known, who often said that nearly every usage of the word salvation in Greek comes in some form of a future tense. We are being saved. Salvation is nearer now. That that future tense also reminded me of Charlie Milford, who used to love saying, salvation is a becoming, not a having. So in this Advent season of waiting, we want to focus on the not yet, the becoming, the promise, the future tense of faith, even within the paradox of the already. We say we already know the end of the story. Jesus has come, yet we are in the midst of that story, writing it with our lives. 
How will the promise of saving grace coming soon change the way we live? We hope that these services will give you hope and inspiration in an Advent filled with some anxiety. Amy and I will continue to speak each Sunday. She will offer a meditation on today's Advent theme. Today is Hope Sunday. And I will offer a homily based on the chosen text. So hear now a text of encouragement from Paul's letter to the ancient church in Rome. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have heard the ancient story. Thanks to Bach and the choir for preaching my sermon, God appears embracing all our tears. Hallelujah. God's majesty eternally revealed to set the cosmos free. In the 1950s, my father studied at Southeastern Baptist Seminary in Wake Forest on the original campus of Wake Forest University. Each weekend, he traveled three hours to be the pastor of a small Baptist church just across the Virginia line. My sister was born in Jonesboro, and my father then had two other Virginia churches where my brother and I were born. And then he spent the last 26 pastoral years at First Baptist Church in Clinton, South Carolina. My mother had graduated from Clinton High School though she was raised down the road in the big town of Joanna, South Carolina. So moving to Clinton was exciting for three young children. We were going to be six miles away from Granny and Granddaddy. Now, we had loved visiting my mother's parents, but before moving to Clinton, it was an eight-hour drive. And there were no video games and no cell phones to occupy young children in a moving car in 1971. And I was the world's worst traveler. I could only sit for a few minutes, and then I had to change something up. Since seatbelts were not required back in the good old days, can you even imagine? And there was no such thing as a car seat. I would sit for a few minutes, and then I'd stretch out on the floor at my siblings' feet. And you can just imagine how well that went. After a few minutes, I'd climb up and balance on the, the back of the, the, uh, the top of the seat back, lying there between my parents. And if we were in my father's sedan, then I'd move to the back window. If we were in my mother's station wagon, well, it was three kids in constant motion. Back seat, front seat between the parents, very back with all the luggage, floorboard balancing on the back seat, uh, the top of the seat backs and repeat for eight solid hours. Can you even imagine eight hours in a station wagon with a seven-year-old Russ Dean? <laughs> I will soon be 60 years old, and my mother still loves to tell about that one Christmas trip 
We loaded the car, and 15 minutes down the road, we came to the little four-way stop where you turn to go to the interstate. She still laughs about my words from the back seat. Are we almost there yet? She did not have the heart to tell me we had seven hours and 45 minutes more in that rolling prison. So with a mother's heart, she just said, we're closer than we have been. <laughs> closer than we have been. As the season of Advent began, our friend Dr. John Ballinger posted on social media, we start by acknowledging the weariness, grief, rage, and hopelessness we carry. Sometimes weariness can harden us, prevent us from living fully. We've had hard journeys. Grief has left a scar. This is how we show up to Advent. Before offering a prayer in Wednesday's staff meeting, I reminded our staff that the word Advent means literally to come. I reminded them that this is then a season of waiting, and I invited them to talk a little about their waiting in this season. And after some discussion, I shared. I said, I'm weary of waiting. I really cannot believe where we are as a nation, where we are as human beings in this world. I'm weary of waiting. I've been shaking my head for the last few years. I just cannot understand it. I cannot believe what I see in our national life. And then there's Russia's invasion of Ukraine and all that unnecessary pain. And now Gaza, the hatred and misunderstanding and division reaching from that unholy land all the way to Charlotte. It's hard to fathom. With all our advanced understanding, it is hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that our world's so-called leaders still think that they can solve political and religious and social and economic problems by dropping bombs and building walls, with calls for law and order, with one more war. How many thousands of years will the failed strategy of war, responding to violence with just more violence, how long will wars that fail to solve any problems continue to be our response before we try something different? How many hundreds of thousands of innocent lives will be so foolishly lost? How many charlatans will be able to seduce the masses before human beings learn to trust the truth they can see with their own two eyes? How long? As the psalmist cried, how long, O Lord? If I dare to be honest with you on this first day of Advent, this is where I am. In my 60 years on this earth, I have never been so disillusioned, so disappointed with humanity. Will we never learn? I've never been so frustrated and heartbroken with what I see. How much dishonesty, how much division, how much unnecessary death will we have to endure? Are we there yet? Sometimes it seems like we're not even close, doesn't it? In our text for today, the Apostle Paul writes to a weary church, a church beaten down by fear, a church living in the heart of the world's only superpower, 
a church afraid of its own demise. Paul writes to us, salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. Are we there yet? No. But we are closer than we have ever been. So much for all that evangelical preaching, all those altar calls on which many of us were raised, the conviction that supposedly comes, excuse me, the conversion that supposedly comes the moment you believe. Paul says salvation is much more than that. Not the conversion of an individual soul, but the healing of the entire world. And Paul says, it's a long process. Wholeness is ongoing. Truth is a becoming, not a having. The French paleontologist and Jesuit priest Teilhard de Chardin understood Paul, but he also understood evolutionary biology. So Teilhard says it this way, it's a vast process in which the whole mass of the universe is involved. In us, the evolution of the world towards the spirit becomes conscious. And from that moment, our perfection, our interest, our salvation can only be to press on with this evolution with all our strength. We cannot yet understand exactly where it will lead us, but it would be absurd to doubt it will lead us towards some end of supreme value. We are not there yet. We are not saved. The world is not safe. Some days it feels like we're not even close. But in every age there have been those days. And the statistics tell us that human beings are less violent than we have ever been. Our technology offers incredible possibilities. Hopefully... Our lived experience will finally defeat fear and fanaticism and fascism. We are not there yet, but we must trust Paul's faith. Salvation is nearer than it has ever been. The arc of the moral universe is long, said Martin Luther King Jr., long indeed. It is right sometimes to feel weary, but the arc, the future, the purpose of God will lead this universe toward justice if we do not give in, if we do not give up. Teilhard says, from where we stand, with the advance of evolution all around us, now is the time to act. No longer as in, in, the, pa as in the past, however, acting for our small selves, for our small family, for our small country, but acting now for the salvation of the universe. Salvation is nearer now than when we became believers. Are we there yet? May it be so. Amen. This week and throughout Advent, I will be offering a prayer in light of our theme for those who grieve. Hope is the thing with feathers, starts the poem by Emily Dickinson. I find it intriguing that her image of hope is a songbird. I'd much prefer it to have been 
a falcon or an eagle, strong and high and fast and sleek. But instead, she images hope as a precious little thing, a chickadee or goldfinch tossed about in the wind and singing through an ocean storm. Hope is the song you might hear in the quiet of your grief or feel near the place at the table that's now empty. Hope is the light in all that we've lost. It shines in the darkness of hate and violence, of old hurts brought back to the surface, of meanness for meanness sake, of the hostility which sits around living rooms that no one wants but everyone contributes to. Hope shines in this, not as a spotlight, but as a candle. And yet the light shines in the darkness, and darkness shall not overcome it. Hope that's small is good hope, because any possibility for a different life, a different body, a different church, a different nation, a different world, any hope for these things must come to terms with the world not being as it should. That hope is sober and strong. That hope is authentic. That small hope is the hope of our faith. Emily ends her reflection Hope is the thing with feathers that never asked a thing of me. And as we wait on Christ, we acknowledge that waiting is what's required when the task at hand, the hurt at hand, the grief at hand is beyond us. We begin with hope because humankind is not made to be, to endure, to do anything alone, and another is coming. Pray with me. Lord, give us authentic hope, even if it's a small chickadee sort of hope. Give us a hope that validates our grief, that cries for the loved one who's gone, that mourns the brokenness of our bodies, that hurts for the hurts of our families and our world. Give us the hope that appears unexpectedly in a night sky and leads us to Christ. A light shines, and though it shines in darkness, it is not overcome. Thank you.